0: That clock back there is not working. It, although it says the right time right now, but it said that time for the last hour-ish. <laughs> so I brought my cell phone up. <laughs> um, I am doing um, a parable, as we have been doing in this class for quite some time. And um, I chose the parable of the rich fool And I chose it partly because it's one that I teach every year to my class. And so I was familiar with it. And I knew kind of what it was about and kind of had a feel for it. Um, But I learned some things as I was studying for this lesson. And um, I learned, number one, um, the value of putting something in context. And I've always taken this scripture, this parable, and partly because of the audience that I was speaking to, I've, I've taken it out of, this, you know, out of the scripture, I guess, and, and taught it as a, a story to my kids. And I, whenever I'm getting ready to teach young adults, I always back up and go, go back to the beginning of the chapter or back a couple chapters um, and try to get a feel for what the scripture is really saying. And when I did that this week, or well, Yeah, no, it was this week. (laughs) I confess, I was trying to think. I did prepare for this a while ago and then had to re-prepare. So it was this week that I really did this. I I discovered some things that I had never seen before. And I learned some things about the Lord. And I learned some things um, that I hope uh, can really help you tonight. Um, So I want to start, first of all, um, with just some questions to kind of get you thinking. Um, please um, don't answer these out loud at this point. <laughs> There's some things we don't want to know, <laughs> um, some things we don't want to share. Um, but I want you to think about what are your top three spending categories per month? And of course, you know, we all saw the title of the parable, the parable of the rich fool, and so we're treading carefully here. Um, even in our minds, Um, but really in proportion to your average monthly income, what are, just off the top of your head, what do you think are your top three um, percentage areas where you spend your money? Just think about it for a second. Maybe some of you have budgets um, where you've got that all figured out. Maybe some of you, this is the first time that you've really thought about that. Um, And then I want you to think, maybe you've only had time to think of just one, Um, but why do you spend your money that way? Why do you choose to spend your money in that way? Is it because it's a necessity? Is it because it's something you desire? What what are your purposes behind that? And then I want you to dream for a minute and think if you had enough money to reprioritize according to your wants, what would be at the top? Where would you, if you could afford to spend your money in greater amounts, you you can be carnal if you want. I'll call you a fool later, but no, I'm kidding. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. The scripture will. If you, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. If you envision your perfect life, what would you need to buy to make it happen? I I would. I want to travel guys want to travel, want enough money to just like hop on a plane whenever I feel like it. If someone offered it to you right now no strings attached would you take it? (laughs) We have some honest people in the house. (laughs) I, I don't know. Might need to pray about that. Why or why not? Why would you take it? Why would you not take it? The real question here is would more money make you happy? Maybe less money makes me unhappy <laughs> so it seems like it would go the other way, right um, in the the October issue of time, they reported that an income of seventy five thousand at an income of seventy five thousand happiness peaks on average. The article it's called happy Money asks. It, and this this is was what they said why are we always striving for more money since earning north of 75,000 doesn't accrue additional happiness according to the author at incomes greater than 75,000 we become victims of what they called scorekeeping with our neighbors and then they said we buy the wrong brand of happiness and And they what they said was, you know we're more apt to buy a sports car rather than to buy things that will produce happiness down the road um, and i th- I thought it was interesting to kind of look at the carnal side what what the world was saying about money, and um you know at seventy five thousand I feel like I have a lot of happiness that I could gain with a little bit of extra income <laughs> you know there's there's I've got some growing to do before I peek out, but um Still, what really is your reason for wanting more? And why is 75,000 the magic number in our society? I believe that it is at that point one can enjoy their wealth. They are above the concerns of poverty, the day-to-day, I-can't-pay-my-light-bill kind of thing, but below the pressures of extreme wealth. And extreme wealth brings with it um. I think extreme competitiveness, and when you look at the um, you look at the graphs in the Time magazine, um, I should have brought the issue with me. They had um, stores ranked by the amount that things cost, and you know at the top I can't even remember the names of the stores. You know what what's one of those like stores up north that nobody can shop at? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we had Saks Fifth Avenue, we had Gap. Down, kind of in the middle, and then we had like Dollar General for real, at the bottom, and it went Saks Fifth Avenue with a a big portion of people, Gap hardly anybody, and all the rest of us. (laughs) I'm assuming the rest of us down here at Dollar General, and that was kind of how the graph went, and they were trying to bring the show the point that you know the disparity at this point of of wealth. Um, 75000 is, in my mind, I guess, a worry-free number, possibly, because there's financial security with enough discretional income to make one happy. You know, you don't have to think about everything that you're doing. Um, You can have a little bit of extra money to spend in other places. The truth is, and um, this whole issue of time was called, like, the money issue, Um, and it's It's sad, but it's true. Our society is completely preoccupied with money. You cannot go to a website without the news being full of money-centered stories. We've got protests. We've got campaigns. We've got taxes. We've got debt. We've got ourselves comparing ourselves to other countries. And truly, it has become an obsession for our culture, for our country. What I want to look at tonight is, what would Jesus say if he got an interview on CNN about Americans and money? What would he say? So to answer that, we're going to turn to Luke 12. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke 12, please. Wouldn't you guys like to see that, Jesus on CNN? He might choose Fox, yeah. What what would he? <gasps> he might, probably not in PR. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's a whole nother debate. Okay, so we're starting, the parable of the rich fool doesn't actually start until verse 16, but you'll be glad to know that I've backed you all the way up to verse 1 of chapter 12. And... The reason I did this was because this was where I think Jesus' day started here, or at least this portion of his day. Luke 12, verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, in so much that they trod one upon one another, he began to say unto his disciples first of all, Beware ye the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So, normal day for the Lord, you know, he's at basically general conference trying to get through the crowds and he begins to speak to these people and he he starts out with you know a pretty strong statement here beware ye the leaven of the pharisees and for about 8 verses he addresses the hypocr- the excuse me the hypocrisy of the pharisees warning against their influence and i'm not going to go into great detail here but in luke chapter or sorry in verse 11 and 12 He addresses the issue of court, and he starts telling the listeners to not be fearful because the Holy Ghost would help them know what to say if they ever found themselves in court. And one person in the company heard the word court, and I'm convinced that he heard nothing else because what he said was so out there that he he couldn't have been listening to the message. He had to have just been thinking of how am I going to get my motive into this conversation. And he said it says, and one of the company said unto him, being Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. The nature of his interruption lets you know that he wasn't listening to Jesus' words with his heart, only his ears. He had missed the whole point. Of everything, we're talking hypocrisy. We're talking all of, and all of a sudden he says, "Master, speak to my brother about this money problem we're having." Seriously, seriously, he heard court and he thought this is my chance to get what I deserve. Now, let's look at some history here: Jesus and interruptions. Some of Jesus' most memorable miracles came as the result of interruptions. He was not not used to interruptions. He had patience with the needy. Think about the man whose friends lowered him through the roof, right? Talk about an interruption. (laughs) The woman with the issue of blood, he chose to stop and minister to her, Think about the disciples trying to keep the children back, and he said, let the children come to me, and he blessed them. He had patience with interruption, but this interruption was different. And Jesus immediately addressed this man in a different way than other people who had interrupted him before. He sensed not a physical need. This man didn't need healing. He didn't need the dead raised. He didn't really have a monetary need necessarily but he had a spiritual need and jesus began to address that spiritual need in the only way that it could be fixed and that was by correcting wrong thinking and the way jesus spoke to this man when i read it for the first time and i it was not for the first time but when i read it looking at it through these eyes for the first time. It was shocking to me how Jesus spoke to him. Now, the Lord had harsh words for the Pharisees. He had harsh words for people that were, you know, doing the wrong thing. But for someone who came to him with a need, so to speak, and interrupted him and said, help me, basically, Jesus spoke to him in an interesting way, a unique way because he knew that this man had to be taught to prioritize. Jesus switched from, you know, talking about all these other things, and he turned and focused his attention on this man and switched the discussion almost entirely. This man's request for money and the timing of his request, he was in, they were in the middle of a discussion about divine inspiration in times of persecution. Okay. Yes, it took place in court, but not the time to say, "Would you get me my money, please?" My brother's being unfair, right? This revealed his lack of spiritual maturity, and it reminds me a lot of of a child. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that I can be in what I think is the most, you know, interesting discussion of ecosystems on Earth, and you know, can. Can we? Uh, what What are we doing next week? Um, what What's that thing? What What did you write over there on the board? I can't read that. I'm thinking about the tundra. You know, <laughs> come back to me. And but they're children. You know, they're they're kids. And that's really. It reminded me a whole lot of that. It was like someone who just comes up with something random in the middle of, you know, what is you know, what should be a a, a serious discussion. And Jesus's answer was interesting. Verse 14 says, And he said unto him, the man, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? In other words, where did you get this idea that I was the one to come to as your judge? And then verse 14 says, And he said unto them, So you see a shift in his focus. He dealt with the man, and I don't know what this man did. I don't know if he walked away because he knew Jesus wasn't going to take care of it. I don't know if he stood there with his mouth open. I don't know if he, I don't know what he did. But Jesus shifted his attention off this man, and he shifted his attention to this multitude, to these people around him. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. possesseth. Let's look at this again. (laughs) Try that again. Uh, Because I think it's not often that Jesus gives the meaning of the parable before he gives the parable. It, It doesn't work like that usually. But he did that this time. He said, "Take heed and beware of covetousness." What is covetousness? What is that? Group participation. When you want what someone else has. Yeah. He said, "Be careful, beware of this temptation. For a man's life consist- consisteth not in the abundance of the things that basically that he has." So when we look at the parable, the parable is actually truth cloaked in a story or a mystery for true seekers to uncover. And we've talked a lot about this in here. Um, And if you actually look, go ahead and look in your Bible, because I didn't print this. I don't know why I didn't type this out. Verse 16 through 20, though, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. So we're talking fields, he's growing something, and it's bringing forth a lot of fruit. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. I don't have any place to put all these blessings that have come out of the earth for me. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It sounds pretty good. Right? When I think of rest, I think of eating, drinking, and being merry. Not not that kind of drinking, but you know what I mean. Right? Just it it sounds like relaxation. This man got everything laid up for as long as he needs. He's got enough money. He's got enough goods. And all he has to do is chill. That's all he's got to do. He's just got to relax and just enjoy life, right? But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. At this point, I like to put myself in the story. I wonder what happened to the crowd. Because those are harsh words, and you know they know what it meant. Because he had just told them, beware of covetousness. How awkward would that be, by the way, to be that man That just asked that question and then have the Lord turn around and say, basically, don't be like him. (laughs) Beware of, I mean, the Lord read his mail. Awkward, 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 right? So, what's happening in the crowd now? Who walked away? Who got frustrated? Who gave up? Who pretended to listen but didn't have plans on following through? What was the mood of the group? I just kind of wish that we had the movie of what happened here in the parable. What, 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 what was the reaction of these people? We have got, you know, we've, we've heard this, we've read this, we know what's coming. But these people, first time that they've heard something like this, what, what was their reaction? The thing that's interesting to me is that this was sufficient for teaching the principle. what, What was the principle he's trying to teach? Don't lay up your treasures on earth, right? Lay up your treasures in heaven. He made his point. It's not hard to understand. It's not difficult to get your mind around. But it is hard and it's scary to apply. So for those who remained, he continues. And I never linked. The next section of scripture to the parable of the rich fool but we put breaks in the Bible where there weren't breaks in his speaking and he continues on here and I would imagine that as they're getting listening to this parable there's some feelings that are coming up inside of them And his response is compassionate. The next section of scripture is not a coincidence. This wasn't just randomly put here. As he begins to speak the previous parable, perhaps he read their thoughts, similar to yours. Sure, I'm still standing here listening, but what about blank? How will I ever be able to blank? Letting you fill this in. What if, how can I, in other words, I want to, Lord, but I'm worried about living like that. He didn't mince words. He he demanded, he, he didn't demand anything, I guess I should say, but he urged people to get their eyes off the physical. Your life isn't what you possess and to get your life on the spiritual. And that is a huge shift in how you think. But what follows to me is one of the most beautiful and loving portions of scripture. And I love to read this part. Luke 12, verse 22 through 34. This is God's response to a fearful heart. And I want you to listen. Because I think that standing there in that crowd, there were all kinds of people. I think there were people that were that were belligerent and angry that he would suggest that they are in the wrong. I think there were people that were very poor and thought, what can I do? I, I wish I was like the rich fool. I wish I had that. I think there were people that that were repentant and wanted to change but were scared to give up the security of wealth wealth is security i i i can't say it any other way there's nothing like trusting god in with with money it's it's a scary position to be in and until you've been there i don't know if you understand all the way and i haven't been there all the way either but that feeling of having to choose between what appear to be necessities, not between a pedicure and a facial. We're talking deeper things, harder things to choose over. Luke 12, verse 22 said, And he said unto his disciples, You notice things have changed. The crowd has changed a little. I don't know if his voice lowered or if they just said that the people that remained were his disciples. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Talk about a cultural shift. If he was saying that to them back then, and I think of how when I think of Bible times, I think of it not being materialistic. When I compare us to them, and we have to have seventy five thousand dollars to be happy right i th- I think how much harder this hits the hearts of what are we twenty first century twenty twenty first century christians yeah, cool okay <laughs> it's past seven thirty um so he says, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And he keeps going. In which one of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? The Lord is speaking to someone who is worried about living without the security of wealth. And it speaks as plainly to us today as it spoke to them in that day. It is scary to not have the cushion of money. You know, there's people that need that, that want extra things and, and wealth is important to them for other reasons. But when you get down to it, wealth is security. Money is security. Money makes you feel safe, at least for women. I don't know what it, that's what Dave Ramsey says, right? Then verse 27, he says, consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So then, God so, if God so then clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe ye, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of doubtful mind." For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. And I go back to this scripture a lot in my mind um, because there's a lot of things that I want. There's a lot of things I would like to have. But when it comes down to it, he takes care of what we need. You know? And so many times I think I would rather have this I would I I really you know the 96 Honda Accord's not doing it for me anymore so much I would rather have such and such but for crying out loud that thing won't die to save my life it's going to keep running forever and ever until probably until Jesus comes back because it's it's what I need I need that car and I don't need anything else verse 31 but rather but rather but rather seek ye the kingdom of god how many times have we heard that so many times that right now some of you are inwardly rolling your eyes if not outwardly just when i'm not looking but how true is it but rather instead of forget all that other junk quit trying to get stuff and seek the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. You'll have clothes, you'll have a car, you'll have food, you'll have what you need. And then I love this scripture. He says, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 33 says, sell that ye have and give alms. And then, I'd never read this, this part of the scripture in this way. It says, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. We can, we can call it cliche all we want, we can say we've heard it all we want and ignore it because it's been said a 1,000 times. But the truth is, there is no other safe place for your wealth. There's no other safe place to invest. I, You know, I, I, I looked in the last couple of years as people have lost their retirement, and I, I'm sad for them. I'm sad that people have been had their wealth destroyed. I'm sad that you know, I feel for them because they've worked a lifetime. And there's something to be said for that. And they have disciplined themselves to save and to prepare for the future. And I want to be the kind of person that has the discipline to do that. But the truth is, there is no safe place. I, I, I sometimes, you know, it's probably no mystery. Calvary Christian School, I don't have a retirement fund (laughs) yet. But my retirement fund is in heaven. And I think sometimes as I'm depositing my check, I think, all right, half of this is going in the bank, and I hope the rest of it is going in heaven. I, I I want my riches to be invested in God's kingdom. I want my talents, I want my everything that I have to give to be in God's kingdom, because that is where no thief can come and where it can't be corrupted and where a tornado can't tear it down and a hurricane can't rip the roof off. And there's just no security here on earth. And it says then in verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again, we risk the cliché part of it, because we've heard it a thousand times. But where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Where have you put your hope? Where have you put your time? What is your treasure that you have to give to God? I, I wish I had more money to give to him, but that's not my treasure. That's not what I have to give. What do we have to give to him and where are we storing it? Are we storing it here on earth where it's going to be corrupted by thieves and people are going to take advantage of us? Or are we, are we investing it in heavenly things? Are we seeking the kingdom at the cost of other things? In economics, they have a, a word, opportunity cost. And it's when you choo- you have two things to choose from you choose one and the other one is your opportunity cost it's what you lose because you chose something else what are you choosing and what are you losing because you chose that something to think about what what and i struggled with how to to end this lesson and it's short because I know that we're all in different places. And God's word cuts to different people in different ways. And it speaks to different people in different ways. And the truth is we have people here who are struggling to get by. And a parable like this is comforting to you. Because it reminds you that, okay, God is going to provide for my needs. Okay, if he clothes the lilies, if he takes care of the ravens, then I am on his radar, right? And then we've got people who have been sitting on some things. And, and you have some extra. And you might cast yourself as a different character in this parable. Maybe you aren't as rich as the rich fool, but maybe in some ways you find yourself in that position of eating, drinking, and being merry. And don't let me be the one to rain on your parade, but hear what the scripture says today. And invest your life in what's going to count. Pray, God will seek the kingdom. Seek God first, and he will direct all those other things. And then we have people in here, because of the age that we are, that are just making plans. You're just getting started. You're just deciding, what direction am I going to go with my life? Because that's, that's where we are right now as a group, as, as people. And I urge you at the start to make a decision not to build a bank account. Is it OK to say that, Brother Barkas? I think that that's what, listen to Dave Ramsey too. I, I don't know what to say. And don't let me be your judge. But, and that's why I don't want to end this in a certain way. But I feel to leave this open-ended in some ways because I think that the scripture speaks As it will to each person and probably every person has heard something different and I pray That I haven't put my own spin on it in a way that would distort what the scripture was meant to say But whatever the Lord is challenging you to do and I really believe that God speaks to individuals in different ways. That's why We all have some different convictions in some different areas and I'm not talking about what the pastor preaches. The pastor is the pastor, and we follow that. But there, there's certain boundaries that you feel that I don't feel, and there's certain things that, that I feel that you don't feel. And in this area, in the area of money, in the area of investment, in the area of time, if I could broaden the spectrum of this parable, God has specific direction for you. I believe. And so I am going to leave this open-ended tonight and tell you, seek God in this area. Seek what he wants for your life because even if you have sought him in the past, it is so easy in a culture like we live in to veer off just a little bit. And you turn that compass at one degree and within a year you you are way off your mark, right? doesn't take much to get lost in this culture. So I urge you tonight to get make sure your compass is right there. Your will is in alignment with God. And if there's some major adjustments to do, adjust. If there's some minor adjustments, adjust. But hear what the scripture says tonight. And be comforted and know that no matter what, God is going to take care of you. He is. And it would be a pity to die and have have spent a lifetime investing in things that don't matter. It would be a pity. And I, I, I'm going to leave it there. And I'm sorry to end on such an uncomfortable note. I am uncomfortable. It takes a lot, but I'm uncomfortable. Because there, there is no resolution to this, except in your heart. I can't wrap this up in a neat package and say, have a great week. I'm sorry. I tried. I really did try. <laughs> but the question that I want you to leave with is, where is your treasure? because your heart will follow. And that's the cool thing. You start putting your treasure in the right place, whether you feel like it or not, and your heart will follow your treasure. So you start investing in the church, and your heart will follow. You start investing in other things, your heart will follow. So whether you feel like it or not, I urge you tonight to do some, some self-evaluation. Go home, think about this, get out your budget, touchy issue but really think about what what does God desire from me in this area and with that I'm going to wrap it up if you'll stand with me let's let's pray y'all hate me that too rough it was rough up here (laughs) all right bow your heads with me Jesus Lord, we need you. God, I pray that you would just help us as a group and that you would help us as individuals, Lord. God, this is a tough issue, and you dealt with it in a tough way and in a a very direct way. But God, you followed with compassion, and, and you're compassionate with our fears and with our concerns. God, I pray that you would help us to make sacrifices in ways that we never thought possible. Lord, that you would provide for every need. Lord, if there's anyone in here who has a need, a true need, God, I pray that you would provide miraculously for it. Lord, and I pray that those of us that have extra to give, God, that you would help us to have the courage, the courage to step out in faith and to give when it feels impossible. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon these people, upon these Young adults, Lord, that you would just use us, that you would bind us together in unity, and that you would begin and continue to direct our lives and to lead us more into what you desire for us, more into your will. Help us to seek your kingdom first. We ask it all in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. All right.